The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning. It's really lovely to be here and to see so many friends. I think probably most of you know me. I'm a longtime student of Gill's and sometime teacher. <laughs> and uh, I'm very happy to be here this morning. I, uh, I couldn't help but take note of the interesting juxtaposition between sitting here in a Buddhist meditation hall and hearing the bells from, I think, the Episcopal Church down on the corner. And it was actually, for me, very, very pleasant, very sweet, because they were hymns that, um, that I was familiar with from my childhood. So I wasn't just noting hearing. <laughs> I, was, I was internally <laughs> singing the hymns. But I was aware. I knew that I was doing it. <laughs> so... When Maria called me on Thursday morning to say that Philip Moffat was not going to be able to be here after all, um, which was a surprise for me, and we talked about several different things, ideas, I guess, um, expectations and disappointment. Uh, I had been thinking about coming up to hear Philip. I like him a lot. And the idea of change and impermanence and don't know mind. I asked her if she knew what the state of this room was. Uh, last time I had been here, it was total chaos. And I didn't know what I was going to walk into this morning. And she said, no, she didn't know. So, okay. <laughs> So uh, we talked about um, flexibility and acceptance and all the things that you might expect in a sudden change like that. So hopefully this morning I can sort of weave all those things into uh, a coherent talk for you. Probably uh, the biggest the largest part of the talk is going to be about expectations. And so I would imagine that most of you expected that you would be hearing Philip Moffat this morning. Uh, maybe at least up until Thursday when you got the announcement that he wouldn't be here. So I would suggest just for a moment reflect on what your reaction was, what your response was when you got the notice that Philip would not be here. Or if you didn't get it and you walked in this morning and saw that I was sitting here and not Philip, what was your response? What was your reaction? My guess would be for many of you there was disappointment. Um, it was a very reasonable expectation that you would expect Philip to be here. It had been posted. We'd gotten an announcement just last week when when the building was closed for the weekend that Philip had rescheduled for this Sunday. So it was perfectly reasonable to expect that he would be here. But then came the announcement that he couldn't be here. 
And so what, what came up in you? What was the reaction? As I say, probably there was disappointment. Maybe more than that, maybe there was anger or resentment or frustration or criticism. Maybe criticism of Philip. Why did he say he could come and then he canceled? Maybe criticism of IMC. Um, for whatever, you know, for not planning better, for closing and then rescheduling so that it ended up Philip couldn't come. Maybe criticism of me, you know, maybe you weren't very happy to come and see that I was sitting here. Judging, you know, judging of all of that. So just important to see. And that probably with any of that, there was suffering. Maybe not great, but probably some low level of suffering. To the best of your ability, though, notice whatever the reaction was without judging that. Just noticing whatever your reaction happened to be. What we find with expectations is that it's not the expectation itself that becomes the problem, but our clinging to it, our attachment to that expectation. And so, as with so many things in our practice, the antidote is learning to let go. Easier said than done, of course, but we can set the intention to let go of that grasping, of that clinging, and accept whatever might be happening instead. So it seems to me there are the reasonable or logical expectations, and there are those that are strictly fabrications of our mind. As I said, it was reasonable to expect that Philip Moffat would be here today. That's what was scheduled. Uh, There was no reason to think otherwise. But, as we all know, or we learn through our practice, things don't always go the way we expect. You know the saying that life is what happens when we're making other plans. Things don't always go. Circumstances change. People get sick. Accidents happen. Uh, And if we have not realized on a deep level that life is change, that things are impermanent, and that even a very reasonable expectation can change, we will probably suffer. And so our practice is to accept the changing nature of life, to accept that things don't always go as planned, and to be willing to let go of our expectation or our agenda, or what we thought was going to be the plan. And the more we can do that, 
the more we can learn to let go or set the intention to let go. Because I think letting go is not an act of will, but we set the intention to let go. We recognize over and over, oh, you know, things don't always go as planned. The more we can learn to accept that and let go, the easier and happier our life will be. It's interesting, I was just thinking to myself Wednesday night and Thursday morning before I talked to Maria, um, that I was feeling incredibly happy. Just, you know, just that all is well kind of happiness. Nothing in particular, nothing particular had happened or not happened, but just that, that sense of well-being. And recognizing that that openness to life, to whatever life presents, was at least partly responsible for my happiness. That I was, at the time, I didn't have an agenda, I didn't have an expectation of what was to happen. And the joy of just being in the flow of life like that, just going with whatever was happening. So, Some of our expectations, reasonable or not, are quite small, pretty insignificant. Um, It's not a big deal if they don't get met, although sometimes we can make a big deal of even small expectations. Uh, But some are pretty minor, and some are rather large. Perhaps like the expectation that I would guess we all have here this morning, that we will live through this day that we'll go to bed tonight and we'll wake up in the morning. Not an unreasonable expectation. And probably all of us will. But at the same time, if we understand deeply, then we know there is the possibility that one or more of us won't. Or one of our loved ones won't. And that's not to be morbid. That's just to face the reality. That life is impermanent, that we all will die, we just don't know when. And again, if we haven't faced this reality deeply, then if something happens this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow morning, we will suffer. Perhaps there's no greater suffering, I think, than death or the loss of a loved one. I have seen it over and over, tremendous suffering at the loss of a loved one. And that's why in this practice, learning to live with death on our left shoulder is a tremendous practice. It's very important and extremely valuable. Again, not to be morbid, but just so that we have that deep understanding that life is impermanent. Everything about life is impermanent. And that it will end, and we don't know when. Just a week or two ago, um, this is a practice that I've had for many, many years, and I feel relatively comfortable with death, my own and other people's. And I woke up one morning 
It was a beautiful sunny morning, and the thought came, what a beautiful day to die. That may surprise many of you. It surprised me a little bit. And it wasn't that I wanted to, and obviously I didn't, but it was just that that thought, that that recognition that one day I will, and wow, this is a beautiful day. Why not today? (laughs) So, recognizing the changeability, the impermanence of life can lead to a deep acceptance of the way things are and a much richer, fuller, joyful way of living. Then there are the expectations that are not realistic, are not logical, are really fabrications of our mind. And probably you're all well acquainted with these kinds of expectations. They're the ones that we often have of friends, of partners, of parents, of children, of events, you know, of holidays, of (laughs) whatever that are really just ideas, they're just concepts. They're not based on reality, and they can cause huge suffering for ourselves and for others. Perhaps no greater suffering in families, right, than expectations of each other that don't get met. Expectations of marriages that that don't turn out. I was talking with someone the other day just about, you know, the phenomenon that people can live together unmarried for 15 years and be very happy, decide to get married, and a year later, split. (laughs) Why is that? I'm sure there can be many reasons, but one can often be that without their conscious recognition, there were certain expectations of marriage that they didn't have when they were living together, but as soon as it became marriage, then there were these unconscious expectations that changed things. And um, without a lot of recognition and work, it can destroy a relationship. Many years ago, I lost a very valuable friendship because of an expectation that she had of me that... I wasn't aware of, and I didn't meet. And one time in a group, I said something that deeply offended her. Uh, for me, it was, you know, sort of an off-the-cuff. It, it must have been a moment of, of loss of consciousness because it offended her so deeply, and I had no idea why. Uh, why what I thought was an innocuous comment was so deeply offending to her. Um, But it was, and she was unable to let go of what must have been her projection on me, her expectation, and um, no longer wanted to be friends. So that was an example of, of how holding so tightly to an expectation can create a lot of suffering. She was a dear friend, and... We're not enemies, you know, I rarely see her. When I do, we hug and, you know, say hello. But but the friendship, the deep connection, was severed 
by a, a momentary lapse of consciousness on my part and her unwillingness to let go of that that strong expectation. So, <clears throat> from my perspective, of course, that was a fabricated expectation. It didn't really have much to do with who I was. It was something that she had projected on me. And it's easy to do, right? It's so easy for us to build great expectations into certain events um, or certain uh, uh, relationships, etc. And if we cling too tightly to those expectations, if we're not willing to, to see that it's just an expectation, it's just an idea we have, it is not the reality of the person or the situation, then we will suffer. But if we can learn to let go, to it's okay to have the expectation as long as we're willing to let go when it doesn't work out that way. And to the extent that we can let go, life opens up. I am learning often now to wake up and think, hmm, I wonder what today will bring. This is what I have on my agenda, but I wonder. You know, it's changed enough that I finally get it. (laughs) Just because this is what's on the calendar doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. And fortunately, in my experience, what I have found is that the way things turn out are almost without exception better than my plan. It's amazing. Almost without exception. And I say that because that is what has helped me to let go and to begin to accept things just as they happen. That, you know, my idea of what was going to happen uh, is not necessarily the best, even though, of course, I think it is. But when I see over and over that it isn't, that life may have just a slightly different plan. It can be very slight or it can be quite large, but that that frequently turns out to be much better than what I had planned. That really helps me then to let go of hanging on to any particular agenda or idea of what is going to happen or how it's going to happen, even what I'm going to say. So I encourage you uh, over this next week to really pay attention to your expectations. Pay attention to how many. You'd probably be surprised because I think we have expectations all the time, as I said, both small and large. Pay attention to, uh, you know, what kind of expectations they are. Pay attention to your attachment to them. Again, to the best of your ability, without judging and without the need to change, without thinking, oh, I have to let go of that, or, oh, I shouldn't have that expectation. Not that. As we all know, the first step is just recognizing, just 
seen. And that's, that's enough. When we begin to see how many expectations we have, where we have them, of whom, what kind, small or large. And when we begin to notice our disappointment, the suffering that may follow, that in itself will begin the process of letting go. We don't have to work at it. We don't have to try so hard to let go. If we just notice over and over and over again our expectations and what happens when they don't get met, our reaction to those expectations. And notice both. Notice the happiness, perhaps, the, uh, the joy when the expectation does get met. And notice the sadness or the disappointment or whatever the feeling is when the expectation doesn't get met. Then we get to see how attached we are, how much we are clinging, and how much we suffer from that. So the truth is our life gives us opportunities every single day to see that. And therefore, working with expectation becomes a wonderful place of practice, a wonderful place of paying attention and training ourselves, learning to turn our attention back on our own reaction, our own um, internal process, rather than the events out here. Remember the saying that it's not the events of our life that are so important, but our relationship to them. How do we handle them? What do we do? In the case of my friend, unfortunately, it seemed she was never able to do that, at least not with me. She was never able to turn that attention back on, wow, look at my reaction. It was always a uh, seemingly about me and what I had done and how I had let her down. And a missed opportunity, you know, a missed opportunity for two dear friends to work through something, each learn um, what happened then for me, actually, and in the whole process was that that my reason for saying whatever I did, which I didn't know and I don't know to this day, never got looked at, never got very much attention. Um, it was all on, you know, what happened and the evaluation. And we didn't get to explore, the two of us, very deeply what had happened, which if people can do that, then, you know, a rupture like that can be repaired. Unfortunately, this remains a rupture to this day. So sometimes people tend to develop an attitude of defeatism or giving up or screw it. If if we look really closely and see how frequently our expectations are not met, are thwarted, there can develop this sort of callous or 
uh, sense of indifference. Oh, well, whatever. And I say that because I want to point out that this is not the middle way. This is not the Buddha way. In recognizing our expectations and how frequently they aren't met, the opportunity is to develop a deeper caring, a deeper sense of appreciation of the play of life, of of the mystery of life, of accepting life on its terms, and learning to roll with the punches, so to speak, not developing this indifference or screw it attitude. That actually does not lead to greater happiness. Uh, sometimes we think that that's a protection and that if we protect ourselves, then we won't suffer. But the reality is that is not a protection. And we end up suffering more than if we are willing to open, to just open to whatever life has to offer us, to whatever life brings. Now, I'm not meaning to be Pollyannish. I understand that it's not easy. Uh, I speak from experience, many, many years of experience. I have been one to fight life in many, many ways, fight myself, um, until getting to the point of letting go <laughs> and recognizing that I am not in control. Um, I can do my very best. I am part of this web of life, part of the mystery, but I am not the most important part. Uh, I am not in control. So then I want to say a little bit about the expectations we have of ourselves. Perhaps these are the strongest, the hardest to let go of, and sometimes perhaps the most harmful. Many of us, if not all of us, have great expectations of ourselves. And often we don't live up to them, right? We don't meet those expectations. And that can be cause for judgment of ourselves, criticism, um, great, great suffering. And the truth is, probably most of those expectations come from the outside. They come from some idea or some concept of who or how we should be. Looking back, I see that so clearly for myself. I, I, I was developing, actually, all along, many ideas of how I should be, who I should be, and then trying to live up to those. But unfortunately, often they didn't have anything to do with who I was. They were not coming from inside. They were not about my true nature or my Buddha nature. They were not about life living through this body-mind. They were just ideas. They were just constructs. And so there was, I think, often this fighting. There was, for me, an expectation of being perfect, 
You know, if I can just do it this way, or if I just change this, or I was just that. So the the ideal was some kind of perfection, you know, to be perfect in some way, whatever that is. But it wasn't about me. It wasn't living my life organically. It wasn't living, as we say, from the inside out. It was imposing some idea that did not have a lot to do with who Burgett really was. And so, of course, there was a lot of suffering. A lot of suffering in that. So that's a big one to let go of. Letting go of the ideas of who we are. And there's a difference between the desire to cultivate compassion or cultivate loving kindness or cultivate an open heart, cultivate many qualities, the, the ten perfections, uh, generosity and gratitude and all kinds of wonderful things to cultivate. That's, that's not the problem. We all want to do that forever. But that's different. Cultivating a quality is very different from imposing an idea onto who I am. I should be loving at all times. I should be compassionate at all times. I should never be angry or lose my cool or lose my temper or, or raise my voice or whatever, whatever. These are impositions that are not real. And that's different from cultivating a kind heart, a generous heart, a loving heart. Wanting to speak from that place of wisdom rather than reactivity. You get the difference? That's the difference between an organic life and the imposition of some idea, some construct from the outside. So, I want to underscore for me that that the greatest happiness for me comes with the phrase that came to mind is living the Tao. That is, living in harmony with life. Letting go of my expectations or ideas of how I should be, how things should be, how life should be, learning to live in harmony with what is. And just accepting, I shouldn't say just because accepting is huge, but accepting how things are and letting go of this notion that I know how things are. Recognizing that I am part of the web of life, part of the flow, no less, no more than anybody or anything else. And I want you to know that's been huge because in many ways I held myself as special. Whether it was special wonderful or special horrible. And I've done both. Both are special. Letting go of both and just being part of life. No less, no better. Just 
part of life leads for me to the greatest happiness. And as I've said, it has taken many years, much struggle. I've struggled a lot, as probably we all have. And now I look back and appreciate the struggle. (laughs) Not that it was fun, not that I recommend it, but sometimes, not for everybody, but for some of us, we have to struggle. It's almost like what an isotonic exercise you have to you have to tighten before you can relax that seemed to be true for me i had to struggle perhaps to see the the folly <laughs> and to see the wisdom of letting go of that struggle letting go of any notion of who i am or who i should be scary really <laughs> scary but free, <laughs> you know, free, so freeing to not have a notion of who or what I should be, to just live my life as it comes to me. And and I want to emphasize that doesn't mean you know just <laughs> sitting on the couch. I don't I don't think that happens anyway. It's like a wonderful analogy of. <clears throat> that I learned when I went river rafting many, many years ago. Of, you know, you can jump into the river and, and, um, or fall into the river from, from the raft and flail about, right? And fight and you're very likely to get hurt. Or you fall in or jump in and just go with the flow. You just let the river carry you, whatever. And you're liable to get knocked against rocks or the bank or whatever. Again, a likely way to get injured. Or when you get into the river, you find yourself in the river, you lie on your back with your feet in front. And this is the middle way. So that if you come against a rock, the feet will hit the rock or hit the bank or whatever. And so there is the gentle flow of going with the river, but with wisdom and with uh, some reasonable protection. And I've always loved that metaphor. If we can do that with life, so we're not fighting with life and we're not just, you know, (laughs) letting go and getting tossed about, getting knocked about, but actually lying on our backs with our feet forward so that we're in the flow of life, but there's some, some guarding, some protection. So acceptance, flexibility. Flexibility is a sign of good mental health. You know, the definition of mental illness, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. <laughs> How many times have we all done that? Flexibility. Having don't know mind. That's a big one, right? That having don't know mind. We don't know. When we wake up in the morning, we don't know what today will bring. We have some idea, we have some outline perhaps, but we don't know. That could change. It could rain. 
Not likely in August in California, but it could, could rain. Welcoming even what comes. More than accepting, but actually welcoming, as Rumi says in his poem, The Guest House. Welcome every visitor, for they are a gift from beyond. This gives us the opportunity for a much richer, a much more fulfilling, a much happier life. So we have a few minutes, six or seven, I think. Um, would somebody like to add something? Or question? Comment? suffering is tremendously diminished. But as time goes on, you miss this particular person. You miss their advice, their objectivity about some things that are important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, would you talk for just a second about that kind of suffering that continues? Well, I would make a distinction between missing and suffering. I think we can miss someone, but not necessarily suffer. Um, my dad died suddenly, tragically, 34 years ago, and I suffered tremendously. I was very attached to my dad, and it was a plane accident, so very sudden and unexpected. I was angry for years. Not only did I miss him, his advice, his, he was a pilot, so, you know, I thought, how was I going to know about the aviation world without my, my dad, I suffered many, many years. I was angry um, until I could finally work it through and come to some acceptance. And while I miss him, I miss him a lot. Not every day like I used to, but, you know, I still wish he were here. <laughs> I don't suffer. I haven't suffered in many years. So... Coming to a place of acceptance, um, I think, does not mean suffering. More recently, as many of you know, I lost my dog, my beloved dog. And uh, that was a great loss. I still miss her. It's been three months, and I, I still miss her a lot. But I never felt that I suffered. Um, I didn't want her to die. I found myself just the other day, Thursday, I think, um, coming upon another dog owner that I knew who didn't know that my dog had died, asked me, and I told him, and as I walked away, the tears came, you know. Um, Oh, yeah, I miss her. But it wasn't suffering. It was sadness, um, but not, not suffering. So I think it's possible to be sad, even greatly sad, and not suffering. The suffering, I think, is often uh, tied up with, it shouldn't be this way, Um, there's something wrong with me, or something wrong with the other person, or 
animal or situation or some, some story we're telling ourselves about how it shouldn't be. And that creates the suffering. Just the fact that it happened and their sadness isn't necessarily suffering. Does that, does that make sense? Yes. She's coming. <laughs> oh. This lady. Chris, do you have a? No? Oh. Oh, Linda does. And then I'll come over. Uh, I, I appreciate what you just said. And, uh, I, I see how your response to the person who said, well, if the, you're missing someone who's beloved, it's, it's okay to have the sad feelings and the grief, and that's not the same as suffering. Uh, and I really appreciate what you just said about, you know, saying that, well, that shouldn't have happened and all that. And I see right away that that ties into an expectation. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't believe how powerful this topic is and how deeply pervasive uh, expectations are. You know, and I really appreciate you bringing that to my attention about how, how that pervades my entire thinking. Because, mm. you know, I just, you, you know, I, I just think that I do take things for granted. And I think, you know, I'm going to wake up, there's going to be food, there's going to be this and that. And of course, I think there has to be a certain amount of expectations in order to live. Right. Otherwise, you know, you can't function. Right. That's why it's so important to make the distinction that it's not the expectation itself, unless it's a fabricated one, um, but our attachment to the expectation. Saying that, well, you can have that like with yourself, that there's a lot of suffering from expecting that, well, this is what I have and this is what I want to do and for some reason I'm not able to do it and I really want to do it and I'm expecting that I'm supposed to be able to do it and all these things. And we don't really know. There's other things going on, just like you said, the universe is unfolding. We don't know why, you know, and, and you don't always know at the time why it is that what That's you right. think you should be doing or what you, you know, you were talking about. I was just really That's right. you. Good. Thanks. That's right. We often don't know why at the time or what even. And often it's only reflecting back that we see, oh, that's why that went that way, or we see how much better that was than what we had planned. Yes. I think, am I on? Okay, I think what I go through in this, I'm not quite sure if I'm being accepting or if I'm just being callous. And and it's it's really a fine line for me. Uh, You know, I've had several deaths in my family and I think okay I really work to accept and everything and then and then I thought well I just felt like I was bordering on just callous and coldness and and now I, I have a friend who's you know very very ill I don't know how long she's going to last and 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 I'm again I'm, I don't I don't know that I am knowing how to see what is accepting of this is like, because I find myself saying that to her and I think, oh my God, maybe that was really mean to say, you know, um, saying, you know, this is, this is how life is and I may go before you, you know, and yet I think maybe 
I don't know. Yes. Do you hear what I'm, what I'm struggling with? Absolutely. Yes. I think, I think you're right for all of us. Sometimes it's a fine line between acceptance and indifference. But another point is that often other people can see our acceptance as indifference. You know, I have had experiences where my equanimity might get seen as indifference. Why am I not all upset? This is terrible. This shouldn't be happening. This person is dying too soon, too early, and this is awful. Why aren't you upset? I had a recent experience of that where I'm quite sure um, a friend is very upset with me because I wasn't all caught up in the tragedy of the death. I accepted it. And I think she sees me as, I don't know what the word would be, callous or indifferent. Um, I know, and fortunately her husband who died knows, <laughs> that it was an acceptance. You know, he and I were able to laugh and, you know, it's only death <laughs> kind of thing. So I know he knows, but I don't think his wife knows. Yeah. And, and so... It's for each of us, I guess, to look at and just explore. And acceptance can come and go. You know, there can be times, moments of acceptance, and then moments of <laughs> not acceptance. It's not, just like forgiveness, it's not a steady thing. Um, and, and we may have moments where it's genuine acceptance, and then it may swing into indifference, and then back again. So, you know, it's not static, but just the awareness the awareness that that we don't want to be indifferent. That's not the idea. We want to be open and caring and accepting um, and trust that that's where we'll be. <laughs> I guess what I'm needing at this point for me personally are some more either ideas or definitions or explanations of what Acceptance is, okay, accept life as it is, but somehow that, that doesn't help to, um, to help me skillfully know that I'm being accepting and not just being callous and indifferent and cold. You know, it's, it's like I almost need some more words or some more teachings or something on, you know, acceptance. I mean, mm -hmm. like a few things I can just, mm -hmm. like with loving kindness, you know, I have, I have some phrases I can plug in and I don't have that for acceptance. Mm. You know, acceptance I think is one of those things that maybe it's easier to define what it's not than what it is. It's a quality that, that we recognize, um, but But there can be confusion. Sometimes I'm not quite sure if I'm actually accepting something or, as you say, kind of indifferent or brushing it off. Um, but acceptance is not condoning. It's not saying that something is fine or wonderful or whatever. When we accept a great suffering in the world, when we accept... Um, I don't know what the conflict in Russia and Georgia right now. Um, probably none of us condones that. And we can have enormous compassion for the suffering of the people. 
in Georgia and Ossetia. Uh, but we accept that's what's happening. That's what it is. We accept that that's how Russia feels and that's how the Georgians feel. That's just how it is. And then out of our compassion, we may do whatever. We may send money or we may support in some other way. The same with Burma or Tibet. When we really look at the suffering of the Tibetan people, of the Burmese people, it's, it can be overwhelming. It's enormous. But in March, when many of us walked across the Golden Gate Bridge in support of Burma, um, there was a, a tranquility. There was a calmness. You may have seen in the paper, the reporters noticed, and, and the highway patrolmen noticed, you know, this is different. This is not like the usual groups that walk across the Golden Gate. There was that deep acceptance and, and uh, equanimity, even with the recognition of incredible suffering. So it's an opening of a heart to the suffering, not denying, not pushing it away, opening of the heart, but holding it. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about we have to expand the heart. We have to let it grow big to hold all the suffering. And so acceptance, I think, is a way of expanding the heart, to accept that there is this tremendous suffering. And we do what we can knowing that it's not enough, it'll never be enough. I don't know if that's helpful, but <laughs> it's, it's something that we struggle with. You know, we all um, have to work with and, and question for ourselves. Is this true acceptance or am I avoiding something? Am I turning away from something? I think, I think we probably should stop. It's about 10 of. I'll stay around, and so if people have more questions or comments, please feel free to come up. And thank you all. May any benefit that we have derived from our practice here this morning be shared with all those that we come in contact with as we go out from here. And may we all have safe drives home. Uh, a good day and wake up in the morning.